Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Good morning. You're good. You look good. You look real good. So, uh, in classic mom fashion, I was going to honor my wife, but she's at home with a sick kid. I'm like classic mom stuff right there. I took one for the team. He got up sick in the middle of the night, and it was 1230, and I'm like, it's Mother's Day. Can't wake her up. So I took one for the team for her. But I do get the chance to honor somebody. I got the mic, so I get to do it. My mother-in-law, Mary, is here. And I'm not going to point her out because she's going to cry if I do. She's probably going to cry either way. But, you know, the thing I say about Mary is she is someone of constant prayer and over-the-top encouragement. And because of that, she makes everyone around her stronger. And so, Mary, I love you. Thank you. All right. Like J.D. said, week two, installment number two of why we sing. Last week, if you were here with us, You heard J.D. talk about two different guys, Saul and David, and and one didn't know how how to lead himself in worship. He didn't know how to play his own harp, but David did, and David knew how to play his own harp, so when trouble came, David knew how to run to the presence of God. Saul understood that worship was powerful, but he didn't know how to get there on his own. He had to have others take him there. And so there's something about us understanding the power of knowing how to personally worship God. And to give you a little sneak peek into to next week's message, J.D.'s going to unpack the rhythm of Selah. And you may be wondering what Selah is. It's that thing in the Psalms that's after a few of them every now and then it just says Selah. And he's going to unpack what that actually is. But here's the really cool thing we're going to do. The last week of May... So the last weekend in May, it's May 27th. You can pull out your phone, pretend like you're not texting somebody, but you can put this in your calendar. May 27th, we're not going to do church here. We're going to have a Selah Sunday. And we're going to not only hear about what Selah is, we're going to practice it. Okay? So May 27th, if you show up here, you're not going to be able to get in, and you're going to be here by yourself. So just remember... Don't show up because we're going to learn how to say law. So you can even make your plans now. Go float the river. Go have some fun and say law in some way, okay? But today, today we're going to talk about something different. Today the goal is to talk briefly through three different stories. And what we're going to try to learn is it's not about just what you say with your worship, But it's about how you say it. How many men out there have ever heard, it wasn't what you said, it was how you said it? Don't you lie either. You know you heard it. I've said it a lot, not to my wife. I'm smarter than that. But I've said it to my kids a lot. So right now we are homeschooling our kids, and we both work from home. So that's six people in one house, all the time. And so there's bound to be some friction. And so when our kids experience that friction, you know, we, we're trying to teach them to, to be like 
good people and to, to be sincere in what they do. So when someone ticks somebody off, breaks their stuff, is just flat out rude, they have to go and apologize. And, and the other person just didn't get, just doesn't hear their apology. They also have to learn how to forgive. Because, you know, if you don't learn how to forgive, your life's going to get pretty nasty down the line. And so, you know, we teach our kids how to, how to do that, how to sincerely apologize and how to genuinely forgive one another. But sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes they're not quite getting it. And so, you know, Chanel's our four-year-old. She's the sweetest thing in the world, and so she can, in my eyes, do no wrong, which is maybe a little bit of a problem. But, you know, say she goes into one of her older brother's rooms and breaks a Lego set, steals their shoes, hides their phone, things she would never do. But she, she does, say she does something like that. She's going to have to go apologize to those kids. And let's, for the sake of the story, say that she gives a super sincere, very genuine apology. What occasionally around our house on a daily basis might happen is a kid will say, I forgive you. And you're like, hold up. It's not what you said. You said the right thing. But it's how you said it. You didn't mean that. You didn't forgive them. You didn't even look at them. You're still that got your back turned to them. So what they have to do in our house is they have to sit until they can genuinely forgive somebody. And when they can genuinely forgive somebody, they have to then go and say it again. But here's the over-the-top thing that we do, just because we're parents and we get to, is the way they express that is they got to hug it out. And no, like, limped arm, like, lean-in hug, like, full-on bear hug kind of style. Because here's why. Here's the point. It, when it comes to not only saying the right thing, but, but how you say it, often what is happening in your heart is expressed through your body. If there's forgiveness flowing out of your heart, it won't be hard to give a hug. In worship, if celebration is flowing from your heart, it won't be hard to dance before the Lord. If you truly are praising God, it won't be hard to lift your head or your hands. See, it's not what you say. It's how you say it. See, you can read the words on the screen. You can nail them every time. And you can miss what God wants to give you. See, because when we worship, what we're wanting to do is to connect with God. See, Psalm 16 and verse 11, it says that God's desire for us is that we would experience the fullness of joy in His presence. The fullness of joy. Not just like a little bit of joy, but the fullness of joy. And one of the primary elemental ways that God has allowed us access into His presence so we can experience this fullness of joy is through worship. And so it matters that not only what we say, but how we say it comes into alignment so that we can experience the fullness of joy that God actually wants to give us. He wants you to be overflowing with complete and full joy no matter what you're going through in your life. No matter how you got there, 
no matter what is happening, because he wants you to know that you can worship him in your celebration seasons. You can worship him in the midst of problems. You can still praise his name. Even when you're surrendering and laying down your dreams for your life, you can worship him and experience the fullness of joy because that is his desire for your life. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, go ahead and turn there if you've got a Bible. We're going to look at, at one of these stories. See, because there's always an enemy to our worship. There's always something that wants to come and block you from experiencing the fullness of joy in God's presence. So whether it's celebration in which the way you're trying to worship God, there's going to be an enemy to that celebration. There's going to be something that's trying to keep you from celebrating. Our first story we're going to look at is is this story in 2 Samuel 6. One of the guys we talked about last week, David, is no longer the the heart player for the king. He's actually now the king. And to set this story up, David's king and he decides that he wants to take this thing called the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David, the capital, the main spot of Israel. So he's like, all right, I want to take this thing, the Ark of the Covenant. What it was was a beautifully ornate box that God told them to make. And he said, I'm going to let my presence be there. And wherever you guys go, you carry this thing, and my presence will go with you. It was God's provision so that they could always have his presence with them. And so David's like, we need this at the center of who we are, at the center of what we do. So let's go get the Ark, and let's bring it to where the center of everything happens. And so David tries to get a little clever. He forgets that God has given them a way to transport the ark, and he comes up with a new way to transport the ark, and there's some problems along the way, and a guy who's helping carry it the wrong way ends up dying. And David's sitting here going, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm trying to do something good and something bad's happened and he's angry at God. He was there trying to celebrate and things go awry. Let's pick it up in in verse 8. It says, Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day the place is called Perez Uzzah. But David didn't stay angry. His, his, his anger turned into something else. It says, And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark ever come to be with me? And he was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. See, there's always going to be an enemy to your worship. See, what was happening is they were transporting the ark, and they were celebrating and worshiping like wild on their way. But then something happens in life that disrupts your flow, that disrupts your worship, that throws off your celebration. The enemy to our celebration and how we worship God will often be fear. Something will arise in your life. Maybe it's a worry of what could happen. 
Maybe something did happen, and you're afraid it's going to happen again. But fear arises in our hearts. And the problem with fear is it it blinds us to God's faithfulness. We can no longer see God's faithfulness because all we can see is the fear. It overtakes us. It overpowers us. It crowds out the testimony of God's goodness in our life. To give a little context here, this is King David. King David was known as a guy after God's own heart. He was known as a worshiper. I mean, half the Psalms are written, about, are written by him. This is a guy who knew how to worship. He knew how to play his own harp, yet fear shut down his worship. Fear made him even unwilling to bring the very presence of God with him anymore. Fear made him unwilling to even sing the song when he stood in church. Fear made him want to throw out his worship CDs because he was tired. CDs, do we still do those? Man. Fear shut it down. Fear stopped him from celebrating what God had done in his life. And here's the crazy part. David was living in the midst of a promise fulfilled over his life. He was living in a testimony. See, it had promised that David would be king. And here he was, king, living in the promise, living in the fulfillment of what God was going to do for him, living in the testimony. He was a walking, breathing, living testimony. He had killed giants. He had won battles. God had kept him safe from King Saul when he went crazy and tried to kill him for years. He was a living, breathing testimony, but fear blinded him from seeing the testimony to where he would no longer celebrate God. He became unwilling. Is fear keeping you from seeing? What's the testimony you forgot? Because fear has begun to rise up. Fear of what might happen. Fear that it'll happen again. Fear that you won't get it. But thankfully, David is awakened to it. It says after three months, three months of living in fear. Sounds terrible. It says after three months, in verse 12, it says, Now King David was told that the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom. And everything he has because of the ark of the Lord, because of the presence of God in his life. Everything was being blessed. What does that mean? David heard the testimony of Obed-Edom. David heard the testimony in a life group about somebody getting healed. David heard the testimony in a life group of somebody getting blessed financially. David had dinner with his friends and heard the testimony of their marriage getting healthier and getting restored. And all of a sudden, he wasn't afraid anymore because he remembered the testimony of God. See, it's not just your testimony, it's others' testimony that you need. That's why we have these praise cards sitting on your chair, because your testimony matters. Because people need to hear it. You don't just need to write it down, you need to tell somebody about it. Because somebody's locked in fear. Because somebody forgot the faithfulness of God. And they need help to see again. Your testimony matters. 
no matter how small it is, it matters because it can unlock something in people that causes them to remember who God is and want to celebrate once again. So David runs back to Obed-Edom's house, grabs the ark, and secretly and covertly brings it to the city so that no one knows what has happened. Sound wrong? That doesn't sound like what he would do. No, see, when you remember the testimony of God in your life, you're not supposed to hide it in a little box and not let anybody know. You're supposed to go over the top, extravagant, wild celebrating what God has done in your life. David went dancing through the streets, celebrating what God had done in his life, in the nation's life. Celebration is meant to be over the top. Celebration is meant to be wild. Celebration is meant to be crazy. It is meant to look foolish. It is meant to look like your team just won the Super Bowl. Unless you're a Cowboys fan, that's never going to happen again. <laughs> Burn. Patriots for life. <laughs> Celebration is meant to be crazy. People are supposed to think you're crazy when they see you celebrating. Have you watched a game? Seriously, people look nuts. And that's what our worship is supposed to look like when we're remembering the testimony of God in our life. We are supposed to look a little foolish. We are supposed to look a little embarrassing sometimes because we are so overcome by what God has done in our life. Now, people aren't going to always like it. David's own wife didn't like it. A little side note on David's wife. She was the daughter of Saul. The Saul we talked about last week who didn't know how to personally worship God. Because he didn't know how to personally worship God, his daughter didn't know how to personally worship God. Parents, we are the standard setters for what our kids know how to worship. If we will teach our kids how to worship, they will know how to worship. But if we won't, they will see others worshiping and will possibly get offended. Because that's what happened to David's own wife, Michael. She became offended at his worship. Why do I tell you this? Because sometimes the way that God causes you to celebrate and calls you to, to get rowdy is not going to be pleasing to everybody. And you just need to know that. It's okay. You're not there to dance for them. You're there to dance before the Lord. You're there to celebrate what he's done, not what they think of you. David goes on to say this famous words here in, in, in verse 22. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own, in my own eyes. David is willing to say, you know what? I'll get even weirder if I have to in order to celebrate God. I'm not getting weird for weird's sake. I'm just getting lost in what God's done for me. And I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about Him. I'm there to celebrate Him. I'm there to testify of what He did for me. Do you know it's okay to dance in church? It's okay for you to walk in here and look a little foolish. You might feel embarrassed. We won't care. 
Get after it. You do. You need to get after it. Did you notice most weeks we start with an upbeat, rowdy song? You know why? Because we want you to walk in and celebrate God. We want you to walk in fresh every week remembering what God did for you that week and come in and celebrate and get rowdy. Because it matters not only what you say, but how you say it. Let's flip over to 1 Samuel. We're going to look at another story. We're going to be quick. You're going to have to be fast. Can you read fast? Can you listen fast? All right. 1 Samuel 1 is a story about Hannah. It's a story we talked about already this morning where, where Hannah was facing a problem. And I'm going to run through this quickly, but here's the problem that was going on in Hannah's life. She couldn't get pregnant. And because she couldn't, there were some, some, it says some rivals in the camp who were mocking her. And she was hurting. She was in pain. She was crying out to God. But she had a problem. And you know, the enemy to your praise is always problems. Because what praise is all about is declaring and reminding ourselves who God is, how big He is, how wonderful He is. It's about lifting Him up. It's about singing a song and saying, you are good, you are good, you are good, over and over, even if what you're going through is not very good right now. It's declaring you're good even though what I'm experiencing is not good. That's what praise is about. But our problems want to come in and they want to get bigger than your praise. They want to cause your praise to shrink and let your problem feel much bigger. You know, a a few years ago, my car died. And this was a very sad day. It was a 1999 Land Rover Discovery called the Tank. It was the greatest car ever made for me. I dreamed of this car. I loved this car. But we were living in Chicago and the winters are a little tough, and the brake lines had rusted out, and it was undrivable, and so I had to get rid of the tank, and it was a sad day in our house, but there was a bigger problem. We didn't have money to buy a new one, and it was November, and being a Texan myself, we like to think that we understand what cold is, But after living in Chicago for seven years, we don't know what cold is. November is the beginning of a six-month winter, and I didn't have a car, and I didn't have money to buy a car. And Christy and I had already talked about it, and we had made this commitment. We're not going to go get a car note. We're going to live debt-free. We're going to trust God to meet our needs. And I was in my room one day complaining to the Lord, I I mean praying to the Lord about my car situation, and he said, Will you stop talking about that? Like, fine, dude, chill. <laughs> and he said, What you need to do is you need to start reminding yourself daily who I am. And so he had me for the next few months, I had a daily declarations list where I would just declare who God was over and over and over. For two months, This happened. 
for two months, all of November, all of December, when it was cold and snowy, I either walked, rode a bike. I didn't get a car in those two months, but I declared who God was every day. And I would pray for a car, and I'd ask for it, but not before I declared who God was. Because my problem was not going to become bigger than the praise that was going to come through me. See, because when we learn how to praise in the midst of our problems, it always leads to the blessing of breakthrough. Look at what happened with Hannah. It's in verse uh, 15. It says, I was pouring my soul out to the Lord. She poured her soul out to God. And Eli, the priest, comes to her and speaks to her and says, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, Your servant has found favor in your eyes. And then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Her head was lifted a little higher. Her hands were up in the air, declaring the goodness of God. Her problem wasn't gone yet, but the blessing of breakthrough was on the way. Goes on to say that Hannah became pregnant. She gave birth to Samuel, the prophet, who would then anoint Saul, anoint David. He would be a leader in a generation. My blessing of breakthrough came. One day, someone gave me a car for free. It was the car I had been praying for, but upgraded. That's not the real power of the story, though. Yeah, if you need a breakthrough today, we want to believe with you. But we want to believe with you today that your praise is going to get bigger than your problem again. That when we sing again here in a minute, that problem's still going to be in your mind. But we want you to stand up to it and declare who God is over it. To raise your hands a little higher to lift your head a little bit up. Get on your toes and declare, God, you're going to be bigger than my problem. This is not good, but you're still good. My praise is going to be a little bit different. I'm not just going to say it the right way. I'm not just going to say the right words. I'm going to say it the right way. See, because it matters not only what you say, but how you say it. Because when your heart comes into alignment, it begins to flow out of you. All right, so let me start to wrap up with this one last story. Luke 22. Jesus gives us the greatest example of surrender in worship that we've ever seen. In Luke 22, Jesus is about to be crucified for our sins. He's about to, to go and hang on a tree so that you and me can be restored back to relationship with God. But before he does, he, he goes to a place to pray and worship God. And he says he withdrew to a, a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you're willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. This place of surrendered worship, 
It is vulnerable. It is often painful. But it can also be extremely powerful. See, the enemy to our surrender is control. See, when we feel like we have control, chaos can't come in. And none of us really want to live in chaos. But sometimes when you surrender, it feels like you voluntarily step into chaos. It feels like, feels like you can voluntarily say, you know what, I'm not sure how this is going to play out, God. I feel like I'm supposed to trust you right now, but I'm not sure how this is going to go. There's no guarantee on this. This could actually end up different than I'm hoping. But there's power in surrender. There's also a gift for you in your surrender. See, if we're willing to be people that come to God like Jesus did and kneel down and say, God, you can have my kids. You can have them. I'm going to give them to you and trust that you love them and you care about them more than I do. Amen. Say, God, I'm going to trust you with my business. This problem has arisen up, and I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but I'm going to trust you with it. Because I, I know that, that you have a plan for my life, and it may look a little different than what I see right now, but I'm going to surrender it to you. See, it says when Jesus surrendered, verse 43, it says that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. See, God met him in his place of worship, and he gave him exactly what he needed to walk the road that was ahead of him. He gave him so much that this place of surrender actually became a place of joy. In Hebrews 12, it says that for the joy set before him, For the joy set before him, this thing that he surrendered, that he was wanting to lay down, became a joy in his life. You became a joy in his life. If we will surrender our hopes, our dreams, we'll surrender our ambitions, we'll surrender our relationship goals, we'll surrender it all. God will give you what you need to walk the road that he's inviting you to. And his promise to you is that, that that thing that you surrender will turn into a joy. He said, because my desire for you is that you experience the fullness of joy in my presence. I want you to stand to your feet. Yeah, we're going to worship again. And we're going to have the opportunity to, to praise God. You know, this morning I'm aware that, that people walked in with problems. But this is our opportunity 
to practice what we just heard. So I'm not telling you to forget your problems, forget the challenges that you're facing. If you need to surrender something, maybe you need to get down on your knees. See, because it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. What, let what God's doing in your heart in this moment actually flow through you. Lift your hands a little higher. Get on your knees. It may push you outside of your personality type. It may be different than the cultural norms that you're used to, but God's got something for you, and He wants to meet you. He wants to pour the fullness of joy into you. So I want to encourage you, don't just sing the right words. Examine, how am I saying this? God, do you, am I, is my heart positioned in a way that aligns with what I'm saying? And then let it flow through you. Let it flow through your body. And let's see what God can do when we fully give Him our worship.